Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Opinions and Beer. Today's beer of the day is San Antonio's Hatch Lager. It is brewed by the Ranger Creek Brewing Company in, you guessed it, San Antonio, Texas. It is a Texas beer. It is a Hatch Chili Lager. That means it is brewed with chilies. Uh, give it that extra kick. Uh, it is 5.2% in alcohol by volume, has an IBU of 15. What an IBU means, that's like the that's the international bitter unit. That is a it has a so it means bitter wise it is rated a 15. So let me go ahead and taste this beer. Tastes kind of light. Tastes like a uh, like a Bud Light with uh, literally just chili. It tastes like green chilies. It's not my kind of beer. I don't even taste the bitter and I don't even know how it has a 15 IBU. There's no uh you don't really get any hops. It's kind of flat. Um, it's just like I said, it just tastes like a watery, just another one of these watery beers uh, with just this uh, chili. There's just this very strong, the chili flavor, I can say at least, is uh, strong. So at least it's marketed. It's, uh, it's uh, pre presenting the flavor that uh, it's, it's marketing compared to some of these other beers we just reviewed. I give this beer uh, three pinatas out of a blowtorch. Now, <laughs> Today we have a special guest. It is Alex Lee. He is a genealogist uh, from down south. He has quite a reputation down here. He has quite a following. He has been doing genealogy for quite some time. He has built himself quite a database. It is. I am lucky enough to have him on the show to discuss his work and just uh, just some questions to get to know who is Alex Lee from Alex Genealogy. Now, Alex, what uh, what was it that brought you to genealogy? Well, it all took place about 11 years ago. I had just purchased my first vehicle, and my auntie and my grandfather came like a few days after that, and they was talking about going visit some family members in Louisiana. So I definitely took it as an opportunity to finally drive my vehicle outside the city limits besides going to work. So I drove, and for the first time, I can get to drive my grandfather with me. I'm so used to him driving me around. So as we were driving, my grandfather started to talk about his family. That's something that he never really did often. He only talked about work. And he began to mention things, you know, just little things about his sisters and brothers. And oddly enough, I only knew him to have only one brother that I was familiar with. So to actually drive to go see his sister, it was a it was a great trip, and while on that trip, he just started pointing out every a, a lot of different things. And you know, for the first time, it's like, wow, I'm actually learning something about my grandfather beyond the work that he do. And when we got to Louisiana, the first thing that his nephew said, saw when he greeted him, he greeted him in French, and I was like, and then they began to you know correspond with each other in French, Francais. So I was like, man, that's pretty awesome that my grandfather is actually speaking. A different language rather than English and when we got to the house his sister house I looked at this lady and I was like she look like an Indian maybe she white I was confused because I couldn't distinguish if she was a woman of color or not by her complexion and plus she had blue eyes so when we got in the house it was smelling really good you know I guess the Louisiana relatives when they know that they have visitors they definitely cook up some of their best meals. So, I mean, it was smelling really good. Like, the the smell of the food was just captivating. And then when I look at the, on the wall, they had a picture of Jesus. Of course, she was Catholic, so you see Jesus a lot. 
And then they had another picture of a, who at the time I thought was a white guy in a suit. And I was sitting up there confused because I was like, I want to know who this person is. It's a very old picture. And I'm like, I, I know the G, I recognize the Jesus photo. But as far as that picture, I was like, I want to know why my auntie got, you know, somebody that's white on the wall. Like, it kind of confused because I knew it wasn't a president. So that's when I asked her. I say, hey, Lillian, who is that, who's that white guy just like that white guy that's hanging up on your wall? She said, that's no white guy. That's my pop. And my grandfather looked at me with, with a look like, I know he just didn't ask that question. And come to find out, I was shocked because she said that that's her father, which means that that's my grandfather's father as well. And that's actually how my grandfather got his name, Alex. And that's why I got my name actually came from my great-grandfather that was hanging up on the wall. So when I looked at that picture, I was like, all this time I kind of basically only knew of myself as being black. And to see that even I was confused with an ancestor, well, a great-grandfather that doesn't look any, like, it, it don't look like his people came from the, a, a boat or anything, enslaved. So it kind of shocked me and I was very perplexed. And I was like, if my great-grandfather looks like that, I want to know what his daddy and his, and his mama would look like. And that began my research. That's when I went on a quest to actually find and locate all my relatives. And it was a, it, it really woke me up to a lot of different things as far as, you know, learning the different social constructs with, as far as race. I mean, it really... It really took me to a place to where I was very inquisitive and I wanted to find answers. Right, man, that's that's wow. That's a good introduction to the whole thing. Do you just do your family, or what? What led to doing other people's ge uh, genealogy well, and their history? I'm glad you asked that. This is how that started. I began initially doing my own family genealogy, and then that's when I recognized when I go to the courthouse, I would only go and do my family genealogy and that's when I start to get deeper and deeper and then I then I realized that as I'm identifying my enslaved ancestors on the plantation I see other people family on the plantation and I was like later on I find that the further you go back everybody seems to be related so I'm like I wish I would have got that piece of documentation because now these are more of the extended family. And one of the things why I began to research more family is when I discovered that my ancestors of color were two of the largest slaveholders in the country. So I was like, me being of color and knowing that my, I come from an enslaved background, I know that that's not a focus point for people that's looking at history to identify what became of the chattel property. They look at the wealth of the plantation owners. They don't necessarily look to see what became of the chattel property. So I figured this could possibly help people. And as it has, it kind of shows how and why some people are in the places they, they are in life. You know, basically, I built up some statistics from identifying people from the 1700s, studying how and where they went to during the antebellum period up until the reconstruction era up to the civil rights era up until now and it's really mind-blowing to have that extensive knowledge of people that goes beyond their last name
Have you been contacted by any high-profile figures or anyone to uh, to look into their life? It's been, it, it, um, I say, on average, in a week, I probably get contacted by at least forty people or more, especially with the large margin that the ancestry DNA testing is going into. Now that they're promoting the ancestral DNA test more and more, more people are starting to contact me. And I mean, these people, I mean, judges, you know, different, you know, athletes, like relatives of athletes. It's just a, a wide variety of people that contact me that, you know, that's hungry for information. And with Google having access to a lot of my information, people see how well I've done my family ancestry. So they would do anything to get my attention just to do yeah. this, which I don't have a lot of time. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense because I was seeing, you know, people, they, they submit their DNA uh, and they get it back and it says like, oh, I'm 10% this, 5% that, but it doesn't necessarily show, you know, where that, who that, it shows where that DNA comes from, but it doesn't, doesn't show who that DNA comes from. So I can suspect that does, that would bring you a lot of um, attention. Exactly, and, and, and that's one reason why Ancestry and mostly, most of the famous genealogists across the world all follow my social media pages because I go beyond what those tests show you. My job is to basically make sense of the data. You got the DNA results, but guess what? You don't know which plantation these people were located on to even find a re the common ancestor. So, I mean, and, and, then, and then you got to think about it this way, too. Like, I'm matching real high with a very wealthy woman who lives in the Hamptons, and we have a very close match, and we're trying to figure out how in the world we are matching so close as being second and third cousins, and none of her relatives are from Louisiana, and all my relatives have shown that I'm from Louisiana as told by my DNA matches as well. So it's a possibility that either her, well, of undoubtedly we got a common ancestor that either came down here or went up there and made a child and nobody knows who it is right <laughs> that's nuts that's pretty crazy it just yeah, just the uh the branches off you know how you just it's like a uh it's like a spider web of people <laughs> they all connected all connected how long does it take you to get a pyramid of people it depends and i and i normally you know when you do this for so long and you have the you know, if, I put it like this, if I'm, if, if I'm standing in front of somebody and they give me at least their grandparents or great-grandparents that I can trace in the census, I could possibly trace their ancestry basically to when the person came in the country, just like that. It just depends on who it is. Now, that's when you break it up because that's when you have the separation of the blacks and whites. Whites. I can trace them beyond the 1870 census with ease because they were counted in the census, basically all the census. But as far as blacks who were enslaved, I stopped at the 1870. But it's still good to go that far back to even locate them in the 1870, considering the fact that they may have took up a different surname than their plantation owner. So I mean, it it, it really depends on who the person is and what their family ancestry has in it actually what are some reactions when you tell someone that they were slaves to other african americans first they it's always a shock like oh, oh, oh. it always catches them by surprise and 
Well, it actually surprised my, I mean, me to learn that I was actually born to an illegitimate union to free people of color. So, you know, it kind of shocked me. So to learn the amount of slaves some of the free people of color had, that's when it's mind-blowing. And to see how, of course, it's, it's this whole thing of American history is so simple. They create it to be simple because they don't want you to think more than what you or what, what the mind can hold. The average mind has to be trained and taught. And I think to have pride, you have to have a simplistic way of thinking. You don't want to think beyond it because that's when it's going to challenge your beliefs. So when they find that information that challenged the common narrative or at least the perception of what they thought, it's like they don't want to believe it. Even if you can show them the documentation, they still find it hard to believe. And they probably make up reasons to not believe you, huh? Oh, yeah. And, it, and it's, this is the one that gets me all the time. Well, they had slaves because they was protecting their family. No, they wasn't. Because they didn't even marry the slaves that they had even after slavery ended. So you had your own little class systems within our communities. And that's why my family is so significant because the way that they did things, like my the storyline of my family, I have never, like I, I've, I've been in touch with a lot of researchers. I have never saw my family story in somebody else's family. It's, 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 it's really, really remarkable. That's some, it's some deep stuff. You dive into some deep stuff there mm -hmm. your whole life. Uh, I have one ancestor. I actually descend from two of the wealthiest free persons of color, and they rank real high, like especially in Louisiana and in, in the South. These guys were extremely wealthy people. And I mean, LSU got archives and a database, you know, with my original family records to show you the significance of it. Wow. So what's what's next with Alex Genealogy? What do you do? Like, I, you know, you're slowly getting these, um, well, not slowly, but, you know, you're getting these followers and you're getting um, people are subscribing to you uh, on Facebook. Uh, what do you do from here? Now... Besides my personal projects and, you know, putting volumes of books and to show the research that I've done, like compiling everything and I'll have it accessible to the public. Of course, they have to purchase it. My next step now is to create a platform to reach out to other researchers to where they can come on. We question each other and we exchange information of the experiences that we had through research. So now I want to go to putting out more videos of my research to show people exactly how I have done all the research over the years so they can get a chance to see the, the trials and tribulations of what I have to go through because I even have adversity with my own family because some people are scared of the truth getting out. So when you're dealing with that, I mean, it's, I mean you wouldn't believe some of the things that researchers have to go through when you have to question somebody about the family because somebody probably had a child with somebody and they ain't telling nobody about this <laughs> child. So, you know, I mean, people stealing property, there's all different things that I'm, I'm, I'm having adversity with, you know, as far as, you know, looking up the past. So it can open up a can of worms that some people are afraid of getting out. So, uh... This is a this is a rather sh uh, short show in general. We we run about uh, thirty to forty five minutes. So our max is we go about an hour. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna bring in 
a our first ever. We're gonna have three uh, people today. Two two guests. We're bringing in Ed Ray. Uh, <laughs> and now Ed Ray, for those that you don't know, has uh, said some pretty. He's had some pretty controversial uh, statements in the past that have got him infamous on social media and has got him a his very own Encyclopedia Dramatica page, which is, uh, <laughs> which, which those that know uh, anything about that is probably hard to come by or uh, <laughs> you have to be pretty hated. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, we're gonna bring in Ed Ray over here. Turn my thing on, hopefully. Checking one, two, three. Okay, we're good. Okay, guys. Uh, basically, I'm I'm just gonna throw out some topics. Just talk about these topics, and just we're gonna see where it goes from there. If it leads to debate, if it leads to friendly conversation, if it, just to get the different points of view out there on what's going on in the world today. We have two basically historians, two people who are very knowledgeable in history, uh, and so this is gonna be. It's gonna be pretty good. So I think the first, uh, the first big topic we're gonna we're gonna hit on is um, racial divides. We constantly hear on the media about, you know, everyone's divided, no one can come together. But I mean, are you even seeing that? Like, what is like what is this racial tension that, uh, like, how how bad is racial tension? Is it worse than ever before, or is it the same? You know, is this some kind of uh, is there just a few bad apples and it creates this illusion and this artificial outrage to make more people angry? So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that? I think it's the same pretty much as it always has been. It's just that now you have these very large media platforms that kind of bring all of this stuff constantly. Like every time I get on Facebook, I look at my timeline, something else happened, something else happened. I'm, it's like, it's almost as if you see it all the time. So once you see it all the time, you believe that it's constantly happening all the time. Not even getting all the facts as to why some of the things going on. And, and you know, the way the media tries to play it, they'll put a little facts, if facts at all. They'll put a little things that can be controversial, of course, because that causes them to get the views and, and the attention. And that's when anytime you have a racial debate on anything, it's just like honey with bees. It's going to bring all the bees to the honey. And me, I see more, I, it's a little bit more perplexed to me because I, I look beyond the racism and I look into the whole class system. That's the issue that I really see. I try to focus less of the race side and I look at more as people understanding and they're not realizing as far as the class. Well, yeah, that's actually, I mean, that's, that's some good points right there. Uh, I think there is, there is more of a class, this is more of a class-based problem than anything. If, if anything, you always see, like, people, they're more debating with, it's usually, <laughs> honestly, these debates, if you ever go to social media, it's always, like, poor white people debating the Hollywood elitist. So I, you know, so it kind of is, you know. So I mean, the people that are outraged uh, is never really even about the issue. It's just white people fighting other white people. It's just white and, and, and people. I see a lot, of, and I see a lot of religion in it. Like I mean, it's a lot of envy too. Like when I go to news forum, 
the bottom line, once you get to the basis of it, somebody is jealous because they feel that one side is getting more than the others, and they totally ignoring the total population of the people as far as America. They ignore the statistics of blacks is are the minority. So of course it's gonna look like one side has more than the other. If you are good at mathematics, you can clearly see that of course these people are gonna have more than you know, more than the blacks. But people don't look at it that way. And they don't study it that way either. So they give them that gives them a basis to always argue about that little fraction that they're getting, but we only a little fraction of the country. Ed Ray, do you have any comments, uh, concerns about the uh, the great divide that we are told is happening? Well, I do agree that we are facing uh, somewhat of an underclass between all races in America. I do believe that uh, we do have a problem with uh, racism. The racial divide is a lot bigger now than it used to be 60 years ago. I mean, we can try to blame Barack Obama for being involved in this mess and escalating the mess even further, but if you look at it from a, from a major standpoint, I think the reason why uh, the racial divide is much bigger now than it was 60 years ago is because of the advent of social media. Because on social media, you have all these people, whether it's the alt-right or any other racial organization out there spouting their nonsense, you can see how triggered people are regardless if they're a minority or majority. I mean, we have so many race wars happening in the past 10 years compared to what we saw back in the 1960s. It's a cause for great concern. And I do believe that the racial divide is gonna get a lot bigger than it was back in the 1950s because of uh, desegregation and all that. So we're gonna have a lot more conflict between the white people and all the races that supposedly hate us. Do you have any um, uh, comments? I, I do agree that it's going to get worse because what I think from, from what I see in my experience, in the 60s, you had people that did things in a humble way, even though speaking for equivalents, they were called arrogant. But me looking at the different methods and forms that they did, they did these peaceful protests now, I'm a black person, and, and I see the aggressiveness that how some people go about, but at the same time, people pay attention to it. It's like, if they didn't do it that way, would people even pay attention to it? Or if social media didn't pick up some of these instances, would people know about it? Right. So you, you think maybe... Maybe we're actually just finally seeing things that were tossed under the rug compared to back in the day when uh, it was more, uh, I guess, back in the day it was tossed under the rug, but nowadays we're actually seeing it. Nowadays we're actually seeing people, more people, I feel more people are getting heard now. You know, people using different platforms to be heard. Like, just like looking at the newspaper, like I'm finding out about a lot of different massacres that have occurred that I was unfamiliar with because those things were swept under the rug. Like now, like just, just for example, and it's nothing against the victims because it was a horrible tragedy in Las Vegas. They say, this has been the worst act of, I, I don't even think they call it a terror. 
But they made that seem like that was greater than all the other race wars that they had before during the Reconstruction era. Like from my attic, from my city, where my family is from, Opelousas, you had close to 300 people that were getting killed, not because somebody was mad at just random people. They had people that were mad because now these people can actually vote to actually find a way to have an equal opportunity as now being counted as a citizen. So I feel like now you have social media, people can go back and research this stuff and show people this is why these people may feel the way that they feel about race because look at all the things that has led up up until now. And it's like when you try to argue that and you show that to facts, some people don't have either, either they don't have the heart or the sensibility to care. That's why these people may feel the way that they feel because it's like they're carrying the hurt of the things that happened in the past. And I often see, well, it happened so long ago. Okay, now look at the, everything has a cause and an effect. If things were not fixed back then, how are, gonna, how are they going to work today? Like, for example, my grandfather was born in the 40s. My grandfather did not go to school because he had to work as a sharecropper on a plantation. That's something he had because his, his father's property was taken from him. Taxes. They used these little methods to take the property. So as a result, he didn't have maybe the same opportunity as the other people who had their own property and could prosper. So it's a lot of different underlying facts. And to me, it seemed like it large, largely to do with supremacy, white supremacy, the way that they did it. And it's like the argument is basically against the white supremacy versus the people of color who wanted to just basically have their equal, their fair share. Right. Uh, so you, you mentioned, uh, we, we keep mentioning social media. Uh, speaking of social media, Ed Ray here uh, is constantly having to leave or get banned or blocked off of social media due to his, to some of his, what, what people are saying is controversial, and I, I would tell you that some things are controversial. Uh, uh, one of the videos that he, uh, he keeps getting flack on that he's having to leave uh, is due to a, a, a segregation video. Could you, could you please, Ed Ray, uh, explain, explain your points on that video and, and what points you were trying to make? Well, basically, I was talking about uh, how segregation in America was actually a good time in American history because I felt that black people were a lot more productive when uh, the country was segregated because even though black people were going to school and actually learning some stuff compared to what their generations couldn't learn, at the same time, I felt that... Uh, trying to integrate a community between blacks and whites would be kind of dangerous because in schools, however, schools would uh, deteriorate as far as the physical appearances and the uh, studies that were being brought to both races at the time. And the other problem with uh, segregation was that, well, what, the other problem with desegregation was that uh, communities over time started to die down because all communities were starting to shift and uh, integrate together. That's, that was the purpose of desegregation in the first place. And then the Civil Rights Act of 1964 kind of turned uh, America socially into a uh, welfare state because what happened was, over time, black people started relying on welfare rather than t 
teach their generation teach the generations how to be self-sufficient how to create a business for themselves and thrive in their community so that was one of the issues that got me a whole lot of flack because i was trying to say hey if integration does not work in today's society then i think it would be wise if all the races start to segregate and start to thrive in their own community again and basically go back to the drawing board okay now when you say that I like how you said teach them to be self-efficient are you aware of all of the communities of people of color that were thriving and because of them thriving they were basically burned to the ground for example the Tulsa race rides they have a video that's, that's going viral now that was taking place when the community was at its height. These people had their own banking system. They had everything to be basically economically independent, and they didn't really need anything from the government. But the way that they were attacked was as if they were enemies of their own country. And the way that they were attacked were used as the same tactics that our army used when they were fighting overseas for the quote-unquote freedom but the same people that served were the same people that were getting killed by the tactics that they were taught in the u.s army they were not protected businesses that they built from having limited resources compared to the resources of communities that can constantly thrive and don't have to be worried about being burned to the ground I can pull up several different things on the U.S. government website that shows you all of these massacres that people don't talk about, but these things happen. You had communities. For example, my family, I come, my family come from St. Landry Parish. In, within St. Landry Parish, the most productive citizens within those communities come from people of color, play zones. And this is, they have a a statistically high college graduates from this community who are doing exceptionally well in today's society. They are heads of businesses, state representatives, etc., lawyers, law firms, doctors. These people have done statistically good. They had a lot of adversity, but the communities weren't getting burned to the ground. But could you imagine the effect that these massacres, and I, and I hear this all the time, like see, now I can be very open, black people do have conversations, sometimes they're in fear of letting whites know that they have any kind of advance because they feel that, man, we can't let them know that we're doing good. Like, that's something that we hide and we say amongst each other. And you know, I'm just being real, because of the things that were happening when they were thriving. So when you say that, these people, use their own resources to thrive but when you have white supremacy going against them how can you build if you kick an ant pile down the ants can bite you but the black community couldn't bite you because they're going to get everybody else is going to die luckily they had some survivors to tell their stories to exactly what has taken place or otherwise we wouldn't know exactly how they were doing it and why they were doing it so the bottom line is people tend not to forget about the whole idea of white supremacy is to keep the Negro at a place to where they don't thrive. 
Well, I do agree that white supremacy is a pretty bad thing for the black community. I don't think that they should have interfered in uh, the black man's community, the black community during that time period because, like I said, I do agree that black people deserve to have their own community, have their own businesses, have their own hospitals, whatever have you. But if white supremacy is uh, does interfere with uh, the progress that the blacks are making, then yeah, I do feel bad for the victims of those massacres. <sighs> so look at that, we're already making progress, uh, changing people's minds, learning more history than we already, than we thought we knew. Um, another big, uh, so actually something recently near us, there's, a, there's, there's kind of a big debate right now, what, it's, it's coming back thanks to a, a certain uh, monument in orange that's these uh, Confederate, the Confederate monuments. And I don't know if you've seen this video that went viral recently, where a uh, where a guy came down and he was like yelling at these two uh, two <laughs> two other white people. It's a white dude yelling at two other white people uh, to not stop protest. Like you're you're wasting your time, be shit, goddamn it, motherfucker. This <laughs> my monument. <laughs> So, uh, so what are what what are some of y'all's thoughts? We'll start with you. Um, we'll start with you, Alex. What are your thoughts on on Confederate monuments, the Confederate flag, and just uh, that that still being out there? First and foremost, I'm a historian. We need artifacts. So it's my opinion that don't take them away. Let's add other monuments to basically you know show other good great people because these people were considered great during their particular time periods my i may not agree with everything but i feel that destroying those monuments first of all first of all a majority of the people that want those monuments destroyed don't know anything about history they don't care they're not in the libraries they're not in the archives learning about these people they they just going off of what somebody else is telling them about the monument so i strongly disagree and oppose any destruction of those monuments because that happened this this a part of the country that happened these people were sick these people were dignified during that particular time period I need those monuments so that way when I'm teaching about racial supremacy, I can use those monuments as an example to educate the people of these people with their ideas were basically were glorified for feeling such way. And that's, well, feeling that way publicly because as we all know, you start to look into the background of these Confederate soldiers, they had some black families. And they didn't have just one child, they had a few children. So, in other words, they were strong to the old white mighty race, race but at the same time, they loving a woman of color secretly. It was like a secret, it was almost like a, a secret society of that. You know, like, for example, I got a newspaper, an article, they got a, they got a community in my research area called Swartz. And I didn't know anything about sports. And then I found out what the, com the community was named after Sheriff Swartz. This guy went to jail because he was part of the whole lottery thing and he basically didn't want to register no blacks to vote. And ironically enough, he was killed in a predominantly black area 
Well, people have lived there, people of color have lived there since the 1700s, owning the property since the 1700s. But because he got killed, though, the same guy that did not want any of those people to vote, they named the community after him. And it's like, wow. Like, that's like a slap in the face that they're going to honor Sheriff Swords, the same person that didn't want none of these people in this area to vote to have an equal opportunity. So I, I, I feel that, a part of my argument in the beginning, when I expressed that I feel that other people should be acknowledged as well and not just have those Confederate monuments. Let's get other monuments. Of course, those monuments were not paid by the government, from my understanding, or at least from what I know. They were basically built from people getting, getting together these little organizations and groups, and they contributed to that to build these monuments. I don't think a lot of people knew that either. That wasn't... Like, people think that the states were paying for this stuff or basically that it was paying for, for taxpayers' money, at least from the knowledge that I know that they were not. So it shouldn't be an issue of our tax dollars didn't pay for them, so what's the big deal? And Ray, you have any comments on the Civil Wars, uh, Confederacy, and monuments? Well, I do agree that uh, Confederate statues should not be taken down because, again, that's part of history. That's part of history in the South. And I think it's important to educate future generations on what the South was about. But uh, with the Confederacy, the Confederacy from the beginning wanted to end slavery even before the Civil War began because uh, Jefferson Davis and uh, a, bunch of other, a bunch of the Confederate generals wanted black people to be free and to have no regulations on what they want to do. They wanted, to, they wanted them to start their businesses in the South with no hassle whatsoever and lower taxes and stuff like that. But the problem was that uh, when the United States won the Civil War, they decided to change up the history, rewrite history, to think that the Confederates were a bunch of evil people. I mean, yes, there were some very racist people in the Confederacy. There were also racist people in the Union as well. There's no denying that. But Jefferson Davis and Nathan Bedford Forrest of the Ku Klux Klan, believe it or not, wanted to establish a, uh, a program for black people so they can actually thrive in their community. And that was uh, one of the things about the Confederacy that amazed me because Nathan Bedford Forrest, he had a, a lot of uh, black people. He set his own slaves free to join the army. And for those that wanted to stay with him afterward, some of them that uh, survived the Civil War stayed with Forrest to help uh, create a new uh, outlook for the black community. So that is one of the reasons why I think the Confederate statue should stay up to preserve history and to teach people what was good about the Confederacy and what was bad about the Confederacy. And I do want to say my ancestor fought on the Confederate side and he was a man of color. He was a very affluent man of color and he had several slaves. But guess what? the Confederate woman stole his cotton. So then you see the changing of the power. Like this man went from being well respected to being well rejected because of his influence and what he had. So that was the turning point from somebody before the, the, the Confederate, I mean before the Civil War, they were they was respected within the white, really, to be honest with you, where my family is from, there was no such thing as the white community and the black community. Because where I, we were up under the French and Spanish rule. 
the French and the Spanish has a totally different mindset and culture that of the European side. The European side was complete. Well, the Anglo's were com uh, English people. They were completely. Di they had completely different ideas just by the way that they named their slaves versus the way that the French and Spanish named their slaves. You can see it's a big difference. So things were actually okay if you was on the other side. Well, my, my where my family is from. So that's when you get the whole thing. That's when the northerners started to come in with their ideas into the south, and things got even much worse than they were before. A lot of people don't realize that either. I've realized that in my studies that basically, if you had your own property and you had your own slaves, ain't nobody gonna bother you. I have I have not saw any records that can. Uh, I have not saw any records to where these they're taking slaves and property from people of color before the Civil War. All of that stuff, they started taking more from people of color, of course, free people, after the Civil War. Now you got all these different people that's coming in. And basically, I'm referring to Louisiana. I noticed the downfall of race relations. Like, these people, race relations wasn't as strong as they were before the Civil War. Like, these people actually lived in open concubinage with different, you know, different people. Like, I mean, you look at the census, you literally see white bunch, white men in a house with a bunch of mulatto children. And they just basically all, co like, coexisting together. Like, it's unbelievable to see that. But, of course, when you don't study the history of the U.S., you don't realize that Louisiana was very large at one point before Napoleon got his ass kicked and lost all of that land. People had different rules and regulations that opposed to the, the, the English side. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm really limited with the English side because my primary focus is colonial Louisiana. Right. But you know, I think one of the, um, I think, I believe you were saying, Allie, about um, one of the biggest things about, yeah, the, the North, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, when you're young, you're kind of taught that he was probably the uh, one of the greatest presidents of all time. But if you, uh, I believe uh, Ed Ray was telling me, uh, he, you know, Abraham Lincoln was was kind of he was the guy that, you know, they were actually the North was losing to the South, and that's when Abraham Lincoln introduced the Fed, the Federal Reserve. You know what we owe money to our debt. Abraham Lincoln introduced the debt to take money from the bank, from the Federal Reserve, so that he could win the Civil War, and also Abraham Lincoln. He introduced the idea of the Back to Africa movement because he did not want black people in America. I mean, what kind of like is that? Is this like you're never you're not really ever uh, taught about that? But I mean, if you if you do your history research on that, I mean, Edward was showing me. Same with Libya. Like you know, Edward was showing me. You know, it's like you're not taught the full history. Why is that? Well, it's very simple. Like I said. The winner writes the history books, but if you look back at the, if you look at independent documents that are still uh, archived on the internet, they tell you that Lincoln had several plans for black people after the Civil War was over, and one of them was to bring them to Central America and let them settle in the jungle, so that's kind of a very racist idea from Abraham Lincoln, to send them to Central America or send them to Liberia or any country in Africa. 
And the other thing about Lincoln was that uh, when he created the Emancipation Proclamation in uh, 1863, if I'm not mistaken, or was it uh, afterward? Anyway, what happened was he wanted to use black people for the to be to be in the Union Army rather than the Confederate Army. And by the time the uh, by the time the Civil War was over, it, had he carried out his plans, not only would all the black people have been deported to Central America, but uh, taxes would have been through the roof for a whole long time because that was what uh, Lincoln's intention was. That was the real intention of the Civil War, was to take control of the South and tax the South to where all the Southerners would become poor. It had nothing to do with racism. It had nothing to do with slavery whatsoever. Yeah, it was all, it was all about economics. It was all about power for Abraham Lincoln. And that was what really makes me mad about Abraham Lincoln. He is not a hero. He is a tyrant and a racist. Right. Actually, um, I haven't researched the quote, but I do recall, of course, you know, I take it with a grain of salt because it was on the Internet. I haven't saw an actual document with him stating this, but it was said that he said that blacks and whites couldn't coexist in a nation. I, I don't know how true it is, but I did hear about that and, and then I started to do my own research on Abraham Lincoln and just about everything you said was pretty much the truth and what's so harsh about it is that we're not taught that in the history books. We're always taught to celebrate Abraham Lincoln. I would say primarily because during his time period the Emancipation of Proclamation came about but as far as that goes I, 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 before I express that a little bit more, I would love to research that, you know, I, I love to research, you know, what was his campaign, his whole idea. Before the abrupt, you know, before, before the issues started to happen, because I'm very familiar with the balance of power, North versus South, it was completely different. The South had most of the wealthiest people in the country at one point, so... I can definitely go on the side to say that it probably had a lot to do with trying to tax the people that had more just to fund the people in the North. And then, it, I mean, it's just all kind of arguments. Anytime you, you bring up the, the whole era of the Civil War, people have different spins on what they believe caused the issues for the Civil War to happen the way that it happened. Like, nobody truly knows the exact reason why it happened the way that it happened. They probably was fighting for one thing, but I know for sure it wasn't nothing about freeing the slaves. I, I don't think that had anything to do with it. And then, and then from what I'm seeing, you're looking at the different slave records that I have, the slaves were running away from the plantations all, almost all at the same time, like right before the Civil War, to jump on whichever side. People were fighting for benefits because they knew that these people were somewhat going to get compensated for fighting. Just race? Race has kind of plagued, plagued the United States for a long time. You know, just the uh, the arguments on racism and the arguments on uh, the Civil War and anything that has to do with, uh, uh, you know, all these uh, these black and white issues aren't necessarily black and white. You know, there's a lot of gray, a lot of gray areas in there. Um, you know, we talk about racism. You know, uh, Ed Ray here is constantly accused of being a full-blown racist. And he's constantly being attacked and being called a racist. Um, what, what, uh, at what point 
is someone a racist? Can a, it, at what point can you take a joke? At what point, how far can a joke be taken before you can demonize someone and call them a racist? In my opinion? Yeah. A racist, in my opinion, is someone basically that don't care for other races. Like, they only concern about their race, and then that's an argument point, too, with the genealogical research that I have. I know that some people who call themselves white are not white. When you research the background, which I got I to gotta show you some okay. pictures of these people. But I, 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 in my opinion, I think it's a racist is somebody that, that's only concerned with what they would call their race. Uh, with a little, with a lot of hatred. Ed Ray, uh, what are your thoughts on race? What makes somebody a racist? Well, a racist is somebody that's ignorant of other races, you know. While I have uh, been vocal about black people and other minorities in the past, I do uh, kind of give them a, some sort of criticism to help them improve their community, help them uh, motivate other people to improve their community because I don't think that the white community should be the only community thriving. I think all communities should be thriving. But the way uh, the way we've been going about for the past 60 years that brings up all the violence on the streets and all the riots or even just uh, peaceful protests that are closing down highways because some people are getting angry over what subjectively happened. I do believe that black people and Hispanics and Asians, they should thrive, they should work together, try to improve their own community, and they shouldn't let the government interfere in what they're doing because if they're dependent on the government, they are not helping their community, they're harming their community. And if the minorities can stay away from the government and actually be self-reliant for a change, then all communities will thrive. I agree with that, but when you look in the history, the course of history, like for example, I said that I used to have this, the exact statement that you made, I said that about my own people. Well, I gotta be careful when I say my own people, but you know, of people of color. And then that's when, that's why it's important, the younger generation must converse with the older generation either to agree, to agree or disagree, because some of their ideas may make us think even more illogical and irrational about race, and some of their, what, what they could tell you, could actually make you make sense of why things are the way that they are for certain communities. Now, what I learned from a relative who lived in California, they had a lot of businesses, um, a lot of manufacturers in, in California, but these people that was leaving the rural south moving to places like Chicago, California, they were doing extremely well. But that's when the government started taxing these different large corporations and these people basically was like, you know what, we're gonna shut down shop and we finna go overseas. So then you leave the people that was dependent, like the people that had, they, they stopped going to school. They, I mean, these were people that would basically go to high school and they can get uh, a wonderful job, you know, building cars, automobiles, or, or getting in these different plants and and thrive. But because of the government, these people lost access to the resources that these corporations were given because they left. So in that sense, I can understand if you only have a skill and a trade and you don't have nowhere to work, 
what else could you do to even have to feed your family? You, you, you're left with almost anything. And that, that's for programs like, for example, WIC. Because I know people only think the old Black Panther Party got some, got some, some wild ideas, but they actually formed different bonds to feed the community. They all would get together, pitch in money from donations from the people in the community, give them bread, eggs, and this was before the WIC. So the government actually picked up they, that idea and they started doing it for people all across the country because believe it or not, that did not just affect the black communities when they were taking these businesses outside the country. It affected America in general. But when you have a country that was established on basically the white way is the right way. White people didn't go through as much adversity to get a job than the blacks did. And that's I got I got I got several video recording and documents of my family members telling me that they were training white people who became their boss because they could not become the boss because of the eye because of the way things were back then during these particular time periods when people were dependent on the government. So there's a lot of things that maybe whites don't understand or know from the black perspective of why some blacks are dependent on the government. And I'm not taking up for all of these people who decided they want to have all of these different children for people that cannot provide a financial stability within the house. I'm not taking up for those people. But you do have those older people of color who worked in the houses of white people who were paying them cash, who never, they didn't have a chance to get Social Security to take care of them now. A large percentage of those people are now the ones that are on government assistance programs and the country a lot of people, a lot of conservative people don't realize that because I had, I had a lot of conservative views, which is why I had to research myself to understand. A cousin in my family that was making over a million dollars a year told me, hey, I'm not voting on the Democratic side for myself. I have to look at my grandmother and my auntie and all of these people who I don't mind help secure their stability because of they didn't have the social security. And I sat up there and I thought, well, they didn't have jobs that can implement some kind of fund for them to, to stabilize their future, especially during the time period, especially for women. Because if you was a woman, even white or man, if you're white or black, you didn't have, you didn't always have that opportunity to be on an equal playing field as a white citizen of America, a white male citizen of America. So you have to look at all of those different backgrounds of why some people are relying on these government assistance programs because the government is at fault for a lot of it. It's almost as if it was a, it was systematically designed to not I can understand why some rich people who have conservative views who don't care about all the issues that I just named, why would they feel like why should I have to pay for that? They ain't gonna think about what I just mentioned because they don't have to think about it. They never have to worry about that because they're not in fear of losing money or anything. <laughs> like some people are actually a check from not from, a check away from being on the street. Yeah. But when you have people that have unlimited resources, they are not going to think in a manner to each one teach one 
Let's work together. They're not going to think like that. I want to get richer. What I can do to get rich? I don't care about the problems. <laughs> Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that low income housing. They're never going to do anything. Those people are hopeless. Let's build a nice condominium so I can get even more wealth. Like, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's, that, that's, that's the way, at least that's the way that I see it. Yeah. Or what's the big point? Like, I, I never understood the, the point of somebody being racist. And it, it, yeah. it, I mean, in my, in my opinion, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Like, races, we're racing to what? What what we get from the finish line? To control? <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know. Control <laughs> or who's going to write the history. That, that's what I think. I guess so. Who's we're just going to control who's going to write the history. All right, we're nearing the end. We're going to do one final topic, uh, one final little discussion for the, uh, for the podcast. Uh, obviously, I'm going to bring up the, the biggest topic that is brought up every single day, but might as well bring it up here as well. Donald J. Trump. <laughs> and I want to hear, um, hear his uh, pros, uh, cons, pros if, he, if uh, you feel he has any pros, cons, uh, what you like about his policy, what you hate about his policy, why, is he a racist? I want to get into nitty gritty. We're going to start with Ed Ray over here, and Ed Ray, take it away. Bros, Donald Trump is uh, trying to build the wall, keep the illegal immigrants out, because I don't think that any immigrant that comes to this country should not uh, pay their fees or show their papers to be legitimate to come to this country. They need to have their papers and such. The other pro is that Donald Trump is helping all communities thrive, you know, because black people are now on board with Trump as far as jobs and trying to help out with education in the communities and such. The cons of Trump, it's going to be a hard one to say, but the cons of Trump are that he's constantly having to deal with Democrats and Republicans in Washington that constantly want to tear him down and kick him in the butt verbally, so to speak. And I think the other cons is that the other con is that Trump can be a little soft on issues that are really kind of hard-pressed in our minds every single day. So what Trump needs to do is uh, pay attention to what's going on regarding uh, regarding the activities in Washington and the activities in the banking system and what can we do to uh, keep the economy in good shape. I agree. No dispute. No dispute? Uh, uh, the only thing I would say is stay off Instagram. Stay off, Stay off Twitter. That's the, I mean, like, that's the only thing. I, I mean, I really can't say, like, I, I have no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> no comment. Now, so, so today I brought to you uh, two separate, two different people, two different backgrounds, two uh, what you may have thought would be two different ideologies, but really, I think if, if you take anything away from this podcast is that don't, don't just go off some clickbait social media commentary. You may actually just be able to sit down and talk to people. You know, we, we constantly are fighting online and getting in these big debates and arguments, uh, screaming racism at this person, screaming ignorant at this person, screaming the N-word. No, we're not screaming it, we're typing it. But I mean, you probably, if you probably just sat down with these people, you would see that your, your beliefs aren't far off from one another at all. I mean, everyone, I feel like all of us, we, we all have one, we all, we all have one common goal. And I, and I think, I think it's more of the, 
I think it's emotion that plays into it. We see these headlines, and different people have different emotions. I think it's definitely class-based. Uh, so different classes, they react differently, and we get in these arguments. But I think when you get to the core of it, if you actually sat down with that person, it wasn't just over the web. You could actually find that you have more in common with these people you're fighting than you have less in common with. So I just think that's something uh, that you should probably take away from this podcast. This is Opinions and Beer. I was, I was with Alex Lee, Genealogy, the Genealogy Guru. And I was with EdRay1416. Uh, please subscribe and follow us, and we will be back with more episodes. So stay tuned for Opinions and Beer. Opinions and Beer. Opinions and Beer. Can't go wrong with Opinions and Beer. Opinions and Beer. Opinions and Beer. All we got here are Opinions and Beer. <laughs>